0: Well, good morning, friends. We are continuing our Colossians introduction. I want you to go to Colossians. I'm trying to remember this each day, and I've already failed miserably. To have us uh, look at these two verses that are the key to Colossians. Colossians 119, write these to memorize them. And two nine. Colossians 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then Colossians chapter two verse nine. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Deity dwells bodily. Why is that so important? Because we're going to be dealing with the crisis that brought Epaphras to Rome to talk to Paul. Um, and about what was going on, the Gnosticism and the other things that had infected uh, the church. Turn to Acts chapter 20 and then 21. We're going to look at a few verses, really, uh, to help us understand where Paul is in the situation. Remember, Paul spent about three years of time in Ephesus. As we look at Acts chapter 20 at the end, verse 36, you'll see how close he was to the Ephesian church. And again, we mentioned the Ephesian church because out of the church at Ephesus came came the churches in Colossae, Colossa, uh, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. So, twenty verse thirty-six. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, the Ephesian elders. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they may not see his face again, and they accompany him, accompany him down to the to um, the ship. Now, from about Acts chapter 21, verses 27, write in your Bible. If you can't write in that Bible, as I always say, throw it away, get one you can write in. You can, you can go all the way down to where it says Paul arrested in the temple. Remember when Paul left Ephesus, his idea, his plan was to go to Jerusalem, and he made it and um, he visits with uh, James when he gets to Jerusalem, who is the head of the church. James was the brother of Jesus, who who um, didn't believe in Jesus, but uh, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us that Jesus revealed himself in a post-resurrection appearance to his brother. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verses one through eight, um, and ministered to James, and James became a powerful leader of the church. So from Acts chapter 21 verse 27 through Acts 28 31 which is really almost through the entire end of Acts he is a prisoner either of or in Rome and both are the case because he's he was a prisoner of the Romans until he got to Rome and then he was a prisoner in Rome um, for his faith uh, and then we don't in Acts chapter 28, it's kind of open-ended. We don't um we don't get to the death of Paul, but death uh, Paul was put to death by the Romans um probably in about AD sixty-three, AD 64, at the same time as the apostle Peter was put to death as well. So let's get into what is the crisis that is um the reason for Epaphras coming. From Colossae to Rome to see Paul. So we're in Wearsby and we're in Colossians. We're in Colossians. Hold your fingers there. And we're going to look at some scriptures in Colossians and Philemon and, and, um, um, and a few other places along the way, but mostly Colossians. So the crisis. Why did Paul write this letter to the church in Colossae? Uh, according to Wearsby. because a crisis had occurred that was about to destroy the ministry of the church. By comparing the prison letters, we can arrive at the following construction of events. Paul, on, um, from Acts chapter 21, as we said, verses 27 through 28, 31, he's a prisoner of or in Rome. So we meet a runaway slave named Onesimus who belonged to Philemon, one of the leaders of the church in Colossae. There was slavery in Roman times. There were millions of slaves and even Christians had slaves. Some of them willingly bond slaves who, because if they were set free, would have starved to death. Uh, And I'm not, again, I am not condoning slavery and And uh, you'll see that Paul doesn't either. Paul led Onesimus to Christ. He then wrote his letter to Philemon, who was the leader of the church, asking his friend to forgive Onesimus and receive him back as, look at this, a brother in Christ. Not a... um, Something he owned, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. At the same time, Epaphras showed up in Rome because he needed Paul's help. Some new doctrines were being taught in Colossae and were invading the church and creating problems. When there is an issue in the church, leadership must deal with the issue. If they do not, the issue will destroy them. We have seen this on multiple occasions, whether it's a personal issue in the life of a pastor, a staff member whether it's a uh, a doctrinal or a theological issue within the church that we just go, oh, we'll just, you know, let that, no, no. We have to deal with things. Why? For the good of the church. And um, so it continues to grow. If you do not deal with them, it's like having a small spot that's cancerous and saying it's not a big deal. It will grow and it will create more problems. So Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians in order to rev- to refute what was going on and the heresy that was being taught. Epaphras Epaphras remained with Paul in Rome. Let's look at Colossians chapter 4. Now remember, Epaphras started the church, but there were uh, other leaders in the church, and so he was able to leave. So he stayed with Paul in Rome willingly in... um, Colossians chapter 4 verses 12 and 13, Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured. There's those words again that I wrote it down on a sticky note and I think I'm going to make this a part of my morning prayer. God help me to stand mature and fully assured in your will. I love that in the will of God. Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So he he's working hard in all three churches to bring these churches to maturity. Understanding his limitations, he comes to Rome to get help. Anissimus and Tychicus. And I probably pronounced it wrong, uh, carried Paul's epistle to their destination. So let's look at a couple verses. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 21. It's important to understand the the messengers and the way the message got out. You know, there was no Facebook and tweeting and, and all of that. Uh Ephesians 6, 21, so that you also know how I am and what I am doing. I think it's Tychicus, 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 I think is what it is. The beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul was always concerned about the the health of the church. And so he couldn't just say, you know, undo the handcuffs. I'm going to go visit this church for a little bit. I promise I'll be back. That wasn't the case. So he had faithful ministers with him. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Says, Tychicus will tell you, excuse me, all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I send him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, who was the former slave, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Look at the next verse. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. Remember Mark, John Mark here, who is Barnabas' cousin, had had a falling out with Paul, and yet toward the end he is restored. And so Paul, again, is great at mentioning um, these people. He talks about the fellow prisoner here, Aristarchus, who willingly stayed with Paul. This suggests that Epaphras willingly as well remained with Paul to assist him. Neither Aristarchus nor Epaphras were prisoners. Neither one of them broke the law or re- arrested. They were Paul's companions, willingly sacrificing their comfort to help him. So what was the heresy? What was the crisis of, that threatened the peace and purity of the Colossian church? Well, it was a combination of things. combination of Eastern philosophy, Jewish legalism, Legalism with elements of what Bible call, uh, scholars call Gnosticism. Gnosticism, this term comes from the Greek word uh, gnosis, which means to know. Remember, an agnostic is one who does not know. The Gnostics were the people who were in the know when it came to the deep things of God, they were the spiritual or, or, uh, aristocracy of the church. To begin with, to explain this, this heresy promised people such a close union with God that they would achieve spiritual perfection. Spiritual fullness could be theirs only if they entered into the teachings and ceremonies prescribed. There were also a full knowledge of spiritual depth that only the initiated could enjoy. This wisdom would teach them from heavenly things, uh, or from earthly things and put them in touch with heavenly things. And I'm telling you, a lot of this is alive and well throughout the church world today. There are people who believe they have spiritual knowledge and fullness that only they provide. And if you join them and do what they ask you to do, you will have this. The reality is this teaching is man-made. It is man-made. And we only find our hope and our strength in God. Let's look back to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul tells the church, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Anything that disrupts or replaces the teaching that Christ is who we need to lean upon is scripture or is teaching that we need to abandon, we need to avoid. It grew out of the philosophical question, which is a good question. Why is there evil in this world if creation was made by a holy God? As these philosophers speculated and pondered, they came to the false conclusion that only matter was evil. Their false conclusion was that a holy God could not come into contact with evil matter, so there had to be a series of emanations from God to his creation. They believed in a powerful spiritual world, which there is, by the way, that used material things to attack mankind. They also held to a form of astrology, astrology, believing that angelic beings ruled heavenly bodies and influenced affairs on this earth. Let's look at Colossians chapter 116. This may seem wild to you, but the reality is this is like reading the paper today people talking about spiritual influences in high places that you know, you know that created illusions uh, um, um, that cause us to serve uh, different creatures and, and it's it is, it is it is something that's not new it's hundreds of years thousands of years old look at roman or excuse me colossians 1:16 talking about the preeminence of christ he says for by him all things were created In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are created through him and for him. There is not some spiritual world that that Jesus is not in charge of. Is there a spiritual atmosphere out there? Yes. Is there... um, Is it necessary for us to to realize it? Yes, the Bible says our battle is not fleshly. It's not against flesh and bones, but against spiritual uh, uh, darkness and and things in high places. But those high places have been brought under subjection to Christ. But we need to recognize them, acknowledge them. And then in the name of Christ, we need to um, allow him to help us when we deal with them. We don't go searching for it. We don't go looking for it. We don't have to. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, again, about the preeminence of Christ, it says, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Who rules these spiritual areas? Who has Satan on a leash? It is Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Turn down to verses 15. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he disarmed, verse 15, the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In Jesus Christ, these things are defeated. Now, they're defeated because of what Christ has done. The problem is they have a, they they man brings them up and tries to hold them up as a as significant or more significant than Christ, and saying no they're separate see they're saying that that um that that Christ doesn't have all power and all authority, and so you can see the heresy of this added to the Eastern speculations was a form of Jewish legalism. Remember many people had come to Christ, but then were trying to add back in. The Jewish legalism, the teachers believe that the right of circumcision was helpful in spiritual development. Colossians chapter two and verse 11 says in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands by putting off the body of the flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ. It is the heart circumcision that Paul says which is necessary. They were also trying to add in the dietary laws. Look at chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this is what Jesus did, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but but the substance belongs in Christ. In Christ, in Christ is the Combinate or the, uh, the the culmination of all of the victories that we have, just definitive rules and regulations told them what was evil and what was good. They tried to define everything with a set of rules. And verse twenty-one of Colossians chapter two says this: "Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch," referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. He said, "You're making things that are temporary. You're making them." eternal they are not they are um they are to be disdained don't let people tell you 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 need to not touch this not handle us now those were things that were according to Jewish regulations what Jesus tells us to lay aside is the things that we lay aside what Jesus tells us which is har- the things that are harmful to us we need to listen to that but it is not by the keeping of rules that we become holy Our righteousness, the Bible says, is in Christ and Christ alone. Then from that, from what Christ has done for us, we walk out our life according to the scripture. Since to them matter was evil, they had to find some way to control it and to control their human natures in this pursuit of perfection. Spiritual perfection was the pursuit and they claimed to have all the answers. Two different practices resulted. Two different... uh, ends of the spectrum. Uh, one school of thought held that the only way to, uh, to conquer evil matter was by means of a, a rigid discipline and asceticism. Look at uh, verse 23 of chapter two. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulges of the flesh. Because it's a hard issue. It's not what your hands touch. It's what your heart wants your hands to touch, if that makes sense. It's at the heart of the issue that we need to deal with it. The other view uh, taught that it was very permissible to, to engage in all kinds of sins since matter was evil anyway. It appears that the first opinion was the predominant one in Colossae, not the second. But they were trying to, um, people were coming in and trying to say, you do this, you don't do this, you do this, you don't do this. And because of that, you get spiritual wisdom. It's easy to see how this kind of teaching undermined the very uh, foundations of the Christian faith. To begin with, these heretics, uh, heretics attack attack the person and work of Jesus Christ. To whom, to them, he was merely one of God's emanations and not the very Son of God, come in the flesh. Let's look at a couple of scriptures and we'll close today. Um, not going to get as far as I wanted to go. Uh, But we're just, again, laying the groundwork. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the birth of Jesus Christ. It says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean, church? It means God with us. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How do we know he's speaking of Jesus? Because in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then turn to Hebrews, one last scripture. And uh, we will close in prayer. Hebrews chapter 2. Speaking of Jesus Christ. He says this, and the Hebrew writer says this in verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of all of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So that's part of the crisis that is going on in the Colossian church, and that's why Epaphras comes to Paul. You can understand why Epaphras would say, this is above my pay grade. This is above my knowledge. Let me go to Paul. So let me pray for us in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26, and I pray you have a great weekend. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. till we talk again.